Thank you for staying tuned. My name is Ariel Ben Lyman Hanavi, and I'm the author of this commentary. This is the audio um, companion to the written commentary entitled Yom Truah, Day of the Awakening Trumpet Blast. Um, Yom Truah is known by its familiar title Rosh Hashanah. And this is a commentary talking about this particular festival. I always encourage you to um, obtain the written notes if you'd like to study a little bit further. The written notes are available at our website at graftedin.com. Go to the Commentaries tab on the home page and then look on the upper left corner and you'll see there where you can click on either the uh, tour portions or the festivals or more commentaries or things like that. It's always helpful to have the written notes in hand when you're listening to the audio portion. If you do have the written notes, or if you're just viewing them on your computer, we are on the top of page 7. This is Part B. I recommend that you also go back and listen to Part A, because we had an interesting time talking about the um, the calendar and how God set up the uh, calendar, given the um, the complications, as it were, between timing the uh, the year around either the lunar cycle, you know, the, the moon's appearance and reappearance every month, um, compared to the solar uh, cycle of how the Earth travels around the sun in about 365 days. So we have to really reckon the two and put them together and, co- and call it a lunar solar calendar. And that's exactly what we did. Let's start out this next section on the top of page 7 with the paragraph entitled Names, Themes, and Hebrew Idioms Associated with Rosh Hashanah. Um, I'm going to talk about five different names that this calendar day uh, goes by. Now, I've already given it two. I've already given you two. I've given you Yom Troah, which is the biblical name found in Leviticus 23, <clears throat> where it talks about this is a day of blowing shofars, or a day of blowing trumpets. But the rabbis of the Mishnah time, the Mishnaic period, associated this day with the head of the year, and they called it Rosh Hashanah, which means head of the year, basically. There are other titles for this uh, festival. Let's talk about them. Let's talk about five titles, all right? The first one that we've already talked about, uh, or that we've kind of mentioned briefly, is Season of Repentance, or in Hebrew we say Teshuvah, or Tshuva, the Season of Teshuvah. Now this title, borrowed from its proximity to the uh, Feast Day of Atonement coming up in ten days here, Yom Kippur, Day of Atonement. Uh, season of repentance. This suggests the attitude that is assumed during this most important time of the year. Basically, during this time, starting, well, it really started at the month of Elul, the beginning of the month of Elul, giving us 40 days leading up to Yom Kippur, um, the whole 30 days of Elul, and then um, Tishrei is the seventh month, Elul is the sixth month, uh, seventh month is uh, Tishrei, and uh, ten days into Tishrei we encounter Yom Kippur. So this really this whole 40 days is a giant um, time period seen as preparing our hearts for repentance, and we're really now down to what we might say the um, home stretch, as we're, we've got ten days before Yom Kippur. Thus the title of Teshuvah, is appropriate. The Jewish nation as a whole wanted to spiritually prepare their hearts to meet their Creator on the Day of Atonement, because that is really the holiest day of the Jewish calendar. Hence the title given to the entire time period. As believers in Messiah, now we already recognize the significance of his effectual blood sacrifice. Thus we too can appreciate the state of mind that the nation of Israel was trying to reach um, when we talk about Yom Kippur. 
Now, sadly, because many Jewish people as of yet do not have a personal relationship with Yeshua, then I feel that their attitude during this time is appropriate because God is still in the business of saving people, particularly the Jewish people. And so if we're going to have the Jewish people orient themselves towards God at any time, keep in mind that God can and does save Jewish people any time. He doesn't just wait until Yom Kippur. But it is appropriate for the Jewish people to orient themselves towards God this time of year. And so, as according to rabbinic belief, the Messiah could come to vindicate his chosen people during the season, I think it is appropriate that the Jewish people have retained uh, and preserved this tradition known as the season of Teshuvah. Okay? So, let's not be too harsh on traditions every time. Actually, within... um, Jewish tradition, because we believe that the Messiah can return, or in, within Jewish tradition we would say, come, not return, but come the first time. Uh, because within Jewish tradition we believe that the Messiah can come during this time of the year, it is in fact interestingly appropriate that biblical eschatology actually seems to indicate that the Messiah's second return is more than likely going to be during one of these fall festivals, perhaps at a Rosh Hashanah, or perhaps at a Yom Kippur, or maybe even at a Sukkot. If I had to choose between the three personally, myself, I would choose for him, I would opt for him coming during a Rosh Hashanah, during a a Yom Troah, to uh, quote-unquote rapture his bride. Um... Second title, number two, uh, Rosh Hashanah, as I keep saying, Rosh Hashanah, as some people call it. As previously stated, this day is recognized and celebrated as the head of the Jewish calendar year. So I'm not going to say much more about that, since we already talked about it in part A. The third title, which is really, of course, the biblical title, Yom Truah, um, is the one that we really should be the most familiar with because it is the one that comes straight from the Torah. Because the Torah explicitly commanded Am Yisrael to sound the shofar on this day, it is called by this name. In Hebrew thought, a shofar is used to sound an awakening blast to the listener. Sometimes the call was to assemble, while at other times the call was to war. If you recall, we talked about those in part A. In the case of the latter, say calling to war, usually the trumpet was used, um, the chadzot instead of the traditional ram's horn, the, the shofar. At any rate, the sages of iniquity, uh, or antiquity, the, <laughs> was, that, was that a Freudian slip, the sages of iniquity? The sages of antiquity, the chazal, they taught that the sound that the shofar made during this time period was to awaken the sleeper, or really the sleeping sinner, from his spiritual slumber, and to challenge him to make repentance, to make teshuvah. So, um, we can we can appreciate the time and the theme associated with Yom Truah. Return to your God, because he is God. And because of this, Yom Truah is better translated as Day of the Awakening Trumpet Blast, just like I've titled my commentary. A spiritual call to assembly was what the writer of the New Covenant had in mind when he penned the famous words in 1 Thessalonians 4, 13-17. I want you to go back and read that. In fact, that quite a few believing Gentiles and Messianic Jews, myself included, teach that our Messiah could return on or around this, secret, uh, this season is no small secret. You know, we could do well to study this feast more 
in our traditional church settings, don't you think? Yeah, I think so. Um, title number four, Yom Hadin, which translates as the Day of Judgment. Now, on this day, Yom Hadin, the rabbis believed that three great books in heaven were opened, and Hashem, the Almighty Judge, would weigh each man's worth. That's according to the Talmud at Tractate Rosh Hashanah 6b. Again, keep in mind that the, the traditions that the rabbis have created are rooted in the biblical text. Within Christian circles, we know that this is no mere tradition. We know that there one day there will be a day of judgment and that the books in heaven will be opened. We know this because the book of Revelation speaks about this. Right? During this time of judgment, all of the dead will be raised to face the Ancient of Days. And this, of course, links this day to the great time period of the resurrection. Not mere rabbinic fabrication. All of this is rooted in biblical truth. This is quite possibly the time period that Daniel was referring to in Daniel chapter 7, verse 10 of his book. Also, as I already mentioned, the apocalyptic author John made reference to books in Revelation 20, verses 12 through 15. All right, So the rabbis weren't too far off. And then finally, the last title I want to talk about briefly is the Chevlai Shel Mashiach, which translates as the birth pangs of the Messiah. This final theme, the birth pangs of the Messiah, are really associated with Yom Truah in a much repeated um, way throughout the Torah, especially in the prophets. Okay, it really develops this this theme of the uh, uh, the birth pangs or the birthing of the Messiah. The idea is that one day there would be a great time of trouble on the earth, focusing primarily on Israel as a people and the nation. And it's a major theme even in some New Testament passages. Perhaps I believe the most well-known passage comes from the book of Jeremiah. In that book, in chapter 30, uh, verses 4 through 7, the prophet speaks of the coming time of dread and terror. And he likens it to a woman in the pains of childbirth that accompany giving the child, uh, give, bringing the child into the world. In other words, the Torah suggests that one day, most likely before uh, Yeshua comes back, that the peoples of the world and the nation of Israel in particular will have to suffer a horrendous time of birthing. Now, does this sound familiar? Sound like the tribulation to you? This birthing is necessary for the Messiah to be born. Now, not born into this world the first time like he was, but rather born into his own kingdom, coming for the Jewish people the first time, but coming for those who have already believed in him the second time. Right? It is the coming of the Messiah. The language here in Jeremiah can be confusing if you fail to remember that this is very figurative writing here. It's ap- apocalyptic. It's, 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 it's very symbolic writing. Um, the authors employed heavy uses of real-life images to convey what they're seeing in the Spirit as God impressed it upon them. We know that Messiah was already born once. Okay, Yet, in a spiritual sense, the Torah teaches that all of creation is still waiting for him to be born, to be brought into the world and to rule and to reign. And For the second birth, the new heavens and the new earth will finally come forth at that time. Okay, Let's move on a little further into my commentary and um, discuss the sounds of the shofar that we're going to encounter um, during the season. But before we do that, let me just um, 
put a cap on this section uh, where we've been talking about the themes of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Teruah. What can all of these different names and such teach us about the nature and the purposes of Hashem? Well, I like to believe that our God is in the business of calling men back to himself. That's what he does. Ever since the incident in the garden where we wandered away from God, where we walked away, where we willingly violated the covenant and broke faith with God, and God had to punish us and put us out of the garden, well, he put us out, but he's calling us back. In fact, in some way, we are returning back to the Garden of Eden. That's what we're returning to. We're returning to that state of walking with God. And that's what it means to, to know God and to invite God into your life via the Son Yeshua. So God is in the business of calling people back to himself, both Jews and Gentiles. And in order to get man to realize his fallen spiritual state, well then God sometimes needs to send us reminders. You know, the Torah says of itself in Psalm 1911 that by its words, quote, your servant is warned, end quote. Now we have to stop and ask our question. What's the psalmist talking about? What is it that we're warned of? Warned of what? Well, considering this holiday and the themes surrounding it, we are warned of the impending doom that is to befall all of the evil of mankind and the deeds that he does. With this warning is a message of mercy. Remember, I've talked about this over and over again. The simultaneous, the simultaneous themes that run parallel oftentimes throughout the Torah of both judgment and mercy. The time to repent is now, people. The time to repent is now. Turn to Hashem with your whole heart. Cry out for His mercy Beg for his forgiveness and pardoning your sin. And guess what? You can receive his atonement. You don't have to wait any longer. You know, there used to be a time when the average person living within the community of Israel could bring an offering to the Lord and the Lord would forgive him of his sins in the flesh. To be sure, we're going to discuss that time period known as Yom Kippur in the Day of Atonement in our next commentary in the Mikra Ekodesh uh, uh, listing. However, history in the Torah record that our great high priest Yeshua has changed the system. Okay? Today, if you want to seek the mercy, the forgiveness, and the atonement of Hashem, then there's no temple for you to bring an animal to. Okay? You must turn to Yeshua as your Savior, and you will indeed find these things in the Messiah. He has been presented by God as the ultimate final fulfillment of all of the festivals and all of the animal sacrifices. And so all of these things point towards him. They do not detract from him, and Yeshua does not, um, Yeshua does not wipe them out. Rather, they still perform that function today. Ask your average Jewish person, what this time of the year reminds him about. And he'll tell you, this is the season of repentance. Now, if the festivals had been done away with at Yeshua's coming, his first coming, then wouldn't it be interesting that the themes of this time period, of this, of this time of the year, would also have ostensibly been lost under the sands of time if the festival would have disappeared from our calendar? Yeah, so it's appropriate that we have this festival occurring year after year to remind 
everyone, but Jewish people primarily, since it's the calendar that God gave to them, to remind Jewish people that this is the time for them to seek God's forgiveness. Indeed, they can seek his forgiveness any day of the year, but how much more should they be seeking it around this time? You know, you don't have to wait until Yom Kippur to pursue atonement. You don't have to wait. You can seek him any time, any day. Today is the day of salvation, whether it's uh, uh, Yom Truah, Yom Kippur, or whenever. However, how much more so since the calendar points to the the repentance that has been offered for us uh, through the Son, Yeshua. You do not have to wait until Yom Kippur to pursue atonement. Yeshua offers it to you freely. He offers it, he offers it to anyone who will put his or her trusting faithfulness in the one and only Son of God. Okay. Let's move now into my commentary to the sounds that we hear on uh, Yom Troah and Rosh Hashanah. This next section on the bottom of part of uh, page eight is entitled "Part Three: The Sounds of the Shofar on Rosh Hashanah." Part two, if you'll remember, was uh, let's see, part well, part one was, was a ram's horn and a silver trumpet. The differences. Part two was Yom Troah. Now we're on part three: the sounds of the shofar. For this next section, I'd like to begin by turning to judaism.about.com one more time. Remember, we looked at them, I believe, in part uh, A. Hearing the blowing of the shofar is the special commandment of Rosh Hashanah, they go on to say. The shofar, a ram's horn, is the oldest wind instrument, and the sounding of the shofar is the most ancient rite in the Rosh Hashanah observances. The primitive and simple sound of the shofar spiritually touches us on this day of soul-searching repentance and judgment. Now we're going to ask a few questions. The first question we want to ask concerning this topic of the sound of the shofar is, why? Why? According to Judaism.about.com, the the, uh, Sa'adia Gaon gives ten reasons. This is a person, by the way. Gives ten reasons for sounding the shofar on Rosh Hashanah. Okay, Ten reasons. First one. Number one, the sound acknowledges God as our king. Number two, it stirs our conscience as humans. Number three, it reminds us of God's revelation at Sinai. Number four, it reminds us of the prophet's warnings. Number five, it reminds us of the destruction of the temple. Number six, the sound reminds us of the ram offered by Abraham in place of his son Isaac. Number seven, it reminds us to feel humble before God. Number eight, the sound of the shofar reminds us of the day of final judgment. Number nine, it foreshadows proclamation of freedom when exiled will return to Israel when we who live outside of the land will return to the land. And number 10, the sound foreshadows the inauguration of God's reign of righteousness throughout the world. Of course, we know that's going to occur when the Messiah returns. Good observation. Wouldn't you agree? Under the section why. Let's ask another question. How? How does this help us to accomplish these things that we just talked about? And how are we to blow the shofar in the first place? I mean, it simply says, blow it. Is there a prescribed way in which to blow the shofar? Actually, Judaism has preserved um, a way in which to blow the shofar. This next section is entitled, How? 
It is customary to blow the shofar during the daytime in the same place that the Torah is read. The person blowing the shofar, the Baal Tekiah, and all those listening should be instructed to have intention to fulfill the mitzvah of hearing the shofar. So you have one person who's going to blow the shofar, and the rest of the people are going to listen intently. Two blessings are recited before the shofar is blown. The first one reads this way, That reads, Blessed are you, in English it reads, Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who has blessed us in his commandments and commanded us to hear the sound of the shofar. And the second blessing, which we read, and this one's a little more familiar, uh, one that we recite around this time of year, reads this way, Baruch Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam Shehechianu V'Kiyamanu V'Higianu Lazman Hazeh. In English, Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who has kept us alive, sustained us, and brought us to this season. Now, once the blessings have been made, then no one should speak until the end of the shofar blasts. Now, there are three distinct types of shofar blasts, or three distinct tikiot, all right, with a fourth blast that I'm going to mention later on. But the three are in order. We have tikiah, which is one long, unbroken sound, one long blast from the shofar, the tikiah. Then we have the shivarim, which is three medium, broken sounds. And then finally we have the trua, which is a short, uh, quick sounds of the shofar, the really short, like staccato type sounds, all right? Let's ask ourselves a question, when? When should we blow the shofar? Well, again, according to Jewish um, uh, tradition, and, and, and let me just pause and say something about tradition. The Torah says in the passage in Leviticus that is it a day, that it is a day of sounding the shofar. It doesn't say how, it doesn't say when. Therefore, wouldn't we say that it is appropriate that the Jewish community has developed their traditions and their halakha surrounding what the text otherwise leaves us silent? I mean, again, we cannot look look down our nose on every rabbinic tradition, especially when the text doesn't say how and when we are to do these things. So, it's okay that Judaism has filled in where the, where the text is silent. So when should we blow it? The shofar is blown immediately after the haftar is read, with 30 blasts there, and then during the cantor's repetition of the Amidah of Musaf. Now, a Musaf is an additional um, offering uh, that is performed on a holy day. Uh, typically, also, you'll find a Musaf reading in the Torah portion itself. Um, so we, after the Amidah of Musaf, we have an additional 30 blasts of the shofar that are also sounded. And then at the conclusion of the prayer service, we have 40 extra blasts that are sounded to make a total of 30, 30, and 40, which equals, obviously, 100 total shofar blasts during this day. It's customary for the final blast to be very, very pronounced or prolonged. We call this the uh, Takiyah Gedolah. When the Rosh Hashanah falls on a Shabbos, or a Sabbath, the Shabbat, then the shofar is typically not sounded because of the um, confusion of sounding the shofar as well as uh, not doing work on the Sabbath. Now that's not true across the board. I know in some communities, then the halakha swings the other way where they are going to sound the shofar 
um, even on a Shabbat. But this article that I'm referencing is Judaism.about.com, so they're going to show one tradition. Lastly, who should be sounding the shofar? Now, we talked earlier in Part A about how the priests had a tradition of blowing the shofar. Who, according to Judaism today, should blow the shofar? Well, all those old enough to be educated regarding the mitzvah of hearing the shofar are obligated to hear the shofar on Rosh Hashanah. And who should hear it, I should say? To fulfill the mitzvah, women may sound the shofar and say the blessing. Isn't that quite neat that there's no no discrimination this time, as can be the case, unfortunately, in some of Judaic standard practices. So who can sound it, who can listen to it? Uh, everyone should listen to it, and everyone um, should be obligated to uh, participate in the festival. <clears throat> Let's read a psalm um, that uh, has to do with the shofar as we look at the fourth sound here in my commentary. Psalm 47, verse 5 reads this way, quote, God has ascended with a shout, the Lord with the sound of a trumpet. And of course, the Hebrew word there for trumpet is shofar. Now there are four basic sounds of a shofar. I talked about the three just a moment ago, the tekiah, the shivarim, and the truah. Those are the, basically the three categories. But there's a fourth one called a tekiah gedulah that we're going to talk about here now. The tekiah, the first one, is basically the blast. It's one long blast with a clear tone. And it typically signifies rejoicing and hope. The second one, the shivarim, is a broken sound of three short calls. Um, Judaism likens it to the sighing. Uh, uh, uh. It's a reminder that we need to be broken before a coming king who will judge the earth, okay? Sometimes our sighs are broken. Uh, uh, you know, as we're, as, we're, as we're relaxing or as we're distressing, we sigh in brokenness. Oh, oh, that's the uh, that's the shivarim. That's to remind us of this of this sigh. This third sound, the tula, is an alarm. It's a rapid series of nine or more staccato notes. And we've got all these. The, it's like you know, it's like your alarm when it goes off in the morning. And 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 it's like crying. The rabbis related to you ever hear a baby cry? That's 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 the reminder of this of this alarm this this truah. It is a reminder, according to the sages, to plead for mercy, to cry out for mercy before the king, who has come to judge the living and the dead. And then finally, this last sound, this takia gadulah, which means great takia. The word gadulah. Uh, uh, signifies great or 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 large or 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 um or loud. Um, it's a single unbroken blast, and ac- and according to the person blowing, it is held as long as possible. You know, and then they till they just run out of breath. Uh, you you guys like my uh, imitation shofar sounds there? Uh, not too good, I suppose. Anyway, this last one is a reminder that at the sound of the last great trumpet sound, the king will be back with power and glory to rule forever. Now, interesting. Listen to that last description. Takia Gadolah. The king will return with the sound of the last trumpet. That's according to rabbinic reckoning. Does that sound familiar to any of you Christians out there? Oh, yes, it should. All right. 
Let's move now on to part four of my commentary. This is the shofar and spiritual warfare. This last section is going to be very interesting for some of you because many of you are very fascinated by this instrument, the shofar. In fact, I recommend. It's a very, very um, um, appropriate instrument for our day and age, both in spiritual warfare as well as simply personal um, um, reflection. Uh, the shofar can be significant to many people, whether you're blowing the shofar personally or whether you're just listening to it be blown by someone else. I have lots of friends who own shofars. I personally don't own one. I cannot blow a shofar. Uh, I don't think there's a commandment to blow the shofar. I think there's a commandment to listen to the sound of the shofar. And so um, I listen. I listen when it's blown. Um, Spiritually speaking, however, it's not a magical instrument. It is, in fact, God's choice of getting our attention during this time of year, or any time of year when the shofar is blown. And so this next section is going to be very, very um, helpful for some of you out there who are already have your spiritual antenna up when it comes to the shofar. The next section is called the shofar and spiritual warfare. The ram's horn trumpet is one of the first instruments played by the ancient Israelites. It's one of the first recorded in our Bibles. Bible references concerning the shofar, which is the Hebrew word, according to Strong's Dictionary, number 07782, is translated as trumpet in 68 of the 72 times it appears in the Tanakh. All right? Translated, whenever we find the English word trumpet, 72 times in the Tanakh in the Old Testament, 68 of those times it's trumpet, and the other time, or 68 of those times it's, it's shofar, and the remaining times it's uh, the chatzot that I talked about. So this tells us many meaningful things about this ancient wind instrument. But before we consider the biblical references, I'd like to um, just list a few facts concerning the shofar that I've taken from the Jewish Encyclopedia. Okay, you ready? It's just a few bullet points. Bullet point, or the first bullet point reads this way, quote, speaking of the shofar, it was the voice of the shofar exceeding loud issuing from the thick cloud on Sinai that made all the camp tremble in the book of Exodus. And for this reason, while other musical instruments were in each age constructed according to the most advanced contemporary practice, the trumpet family being represented by the long straight silver chazozerah, the shofar has never varied in structure from its prehistoric simplicity and crudity. End quote. In other words, the shofar always is, is, is this, this kind of this crude animal look. I mean, it, it doesn't evolve. You know, you don't have like a metal shofar that's straight and brass or or you know with 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 valves and everything like that. It's always a kind of a just looks like it came right off the ram's head. You know, ripped off and and then just with a hole bored through it, basically. Next bullet point is the curved shofar is symbolic of the contrite heart repenting on the most solemn days of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. End quote. In other words, the shofar is not straight. The shofar is curved. It's bowing. It's doing obeisance. It's it's bending. It's it's yielding. It's 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 uh, what's the word I want to use? It is it's contracting as it as it searches inwardly not the shofar itself but the person you know like like when you when you grab your gut and you 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 um, draw within you kind of go into a fetal position if you're on the ground um, as you as you writhe perhaps maybe in deep contemplation or maybe in pain um, 
And of course, as you contemplate going before the King of Kings and your sins are heavy upon you, it should be somewhat painful. Okay? Uh, bullet point number three, the shofar represents the wind pipe within our own bodies. The spiritual part of the body alongside the gullet through which uh, the food or the earthly part passes. The sound of the shofar awakens the higher mercy, which is the rachamim. The object of the second and third series of tekiot is is to bewilder and to stagger the adversary within us, the Satan, who at first, imagining that the Jews are merely complying with the law, is surprised by the second blowing, thinking perhaps the Messiah is coming, and finally is dumbfounded, expecting the resurrection with which his power will finally cease. Okay? Good, um, good information provided to us by the Jewish Encyclopedia. Again, everything that the rabbis came up with was not entirely out to lunch, as some people would say. Um, some of the traditions that they have in, uh, um, preserved within uh, the Jew- Jewish traditions today um, are very, very helpful for us as Christians. Keep in mind that I, it's my belief that the Jewish community and the Christian community should never have parted ways the way that we did in the first century. We should have kept this tradition running where we had Jewish people and non-Jewish people uh, basically walking hand in hand walking through the Bible together and learning of the rich spiritual resources that have been preserved for us both in the written text as well as the traditions handed down through the communities. In other words, it's a shame that the two communities have split and that we've lost some of these traditions within Christian camps and that we have to regain them by turning to our Jewish resources. Let's take a look at some biblical texts at this point in my uh, commentary. Let me see how far I can go. I'm on page 11. And basically... Okay. Uh, You know what? Before I go look at these biblical texts, since it's about 30 minutes of the commentary, I'm going to break this part off and call it part B. And when we return to our audio commentary, we'll take a look at some biblical texts and uh, see how we can encounter the spiritual dimensions of this instrument known as the shofar. So, stay tuned. <laughs> 